Brother Alex, come free to minister the word of God. Let me plug in this machine. Uh, you know, I don't know how the Apostle Paul did what he did without PowerPoint, but he did. You know, sometimes I don't really like to use PowerPoint. And then other times I think, well, maybe because we're kind of a visual culture, maybe it does help. But um, do this, if you would, turn in your Bible to First Peter. Now, is that Old or New Testament? New. Good answer. Good answer. And while you turn to 1 Peter, let me say in the strongest possible terms, folks, God is so good, and the Lord has blessed me so much. Um, I've been in a lot of churches. Uh, I was a youth pastor for 11 years, and then we rented the local uh, arena Brother Mark, just like what you're doing here, what Truth for a New Generation Ministries started out, exactly what you're doing. It's just amazing. By the way, I ask for your, your prayers. TNG, um, Truth for a New Generation. It's funny. I went to a Billy Graham event for young ministers. This was back about 1996, 1997, at Billy Graham, you know, the great evangelist. And he said to us, he said, when you get home and get back to your quiet place, get alone with God, get on your knees and say, God, what is my next assignment? And I did that. Billy Graham said, do it, you know, so you do it. And I, I was under my desk, literally under my desk. And I was praying and I said, Lord, what is my next assignment? And it, like a, a video in front of me, I saw the words truth for a new generation. And now in really 25 years, um, completely give God the glory, but we've done 49 like citywide events where we get, you know, three dozen churches together, we rent a coliseum, and then we, you know, do a conference. And then uh, by God's grace, I myself have spoken in about 2,000 churches and a couple of hundred colleges. And, and I want to say this, and I give God all the praise. But brother, I am in the preacher business. I know lots and lots of pastors. And your pastor, I know you know this. And when I say Pastor Mark, I'm, I'm giving props to Barbara as well. But this man, I have so much respect for you. I look up to you. Um, he's a man of God. He's a man of integrity. He loves his people. He's got the heart of a servant. Um, this guy is the total package in terms of a shepherd and, and a pastor. And I just want to, I know that people know this, but folks, this is rare in this day and age. I mean, to find a true man of God and woman of God just like this, it's, it, you don't see it every day. Blessings. And, and I just, I, I give God the praise and I count it a, a great honor to be with you this weekend. It really is a blessing. And I truly, truly thank you. Um, and I do ask for your prayers. Um, we've got a lot going on, events, publishing, and broadcasting. My own website is alexmcfarland.com. And uh, one thing that we do, we've started a couple of years ago, youth clubs. We call it Viral Truth. You know, it's like videos go viral. And we want truth to go viral. Not only about the gospel, although the gospel is obviously the number one thing, but we want we want young people to, to care about life 
and to, to realize uh, uh, that all of life is stewardship. And you know, that does relate to what I want to share to the church this morning, that, you know, you've got four areas of stewardship. You've got time, talent, treasure, testimony. Now, that's not original with me. I don't know who made it up. But every one of us has 168 hours in a week. And, and God entrusts that to us. Our time is not our own to do whatever with. And we are to give of our time to God, our skills and abilities. Now, Miss Charlotte has the spiritual gift of baking. And you know what? Uh, like I need it, you know, but uh, thanks, uh, Miss Charlotte, for blessing me with some goodies. But, you know, you've all got abilities. Do you know what, what's amazing is, and, and you're giving your, your treasure or your substance. The Bible says, honor the Lord with thy substance. And we are to be tithers and we're to give. And I know you know that. And then our influence. Part of the reason that we as Christians are to live a life honoring and pleasing to God is because people are watching. You know, there was a guy many years ago named D.L. Moody, and he said out of 100 people, one might read the Bible, but 99 will read the Christian. And, and see, you are a representative of Jesus. But God is so good, don't rule out what God is going to do through your life. Because when I was in high school, seriously, uh, 12th grade, I was graduating high school, and I was in a class, my English class, where everybody was supposed to get up and give a speech, and I, I didn't do it. Everybody had gone but me. And my teacher said to me, she goes, Alex, this is 30% of your grade. If you don't get up and give a speech, you're going to fail English. I was like, I don't care. She said, if you don't fail English, you're not going to pass 12th grade. And I was like, well, she goes, look, you're not going to graduate high school unless you give a speech, pass English, you're not going to graduate. Well, I realized that my mom and dad would kill me. Here's the deal. I went to summer school so I could graduate high school rather than get up and give a speech. Now, if somebody had told me, Alex, for all of your adult life for 30 years, five nights a week you're going to get up in front of total strangers without a script and do open Q&A, uh, I never would have dreamed. But see, here's the deal. It's like this. When I went to my high school reunion, I went to my 25th high school reunion. It was amazing. Uh, I couldn't believe how much all of those guys had aged. I, I don't know why they were aging and not me. But I'm delusional, right? But everybody came up to me and they were like, who are you and what have you done with Alex McFarland? Because you're not the same person. And I'm like, you're right. I'm not the same person. And I was... Uh, going to the restroom and this guy that I knew from baseball, playing baseball in high school, he's like, what happened to you? I said, Jesus happened to me. See, when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and you're grateful and you realize all that Christ has done for you, you're willing to say, Lord, my life is a blank sheet of paper. You write in the details. So I want to talk about standing firm, standing bold, being consistent, being fearless for Jesus. And I'm going to read a little bit, and then we're going to talk about why Jesus came into this world. If you've got the Word of God, turn to 1 Peter. Hey, by the way, I love First and Second Peter. Now, I know everybody talks about the Apostle Paul. You know, he went to Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, and he debated the Greek philosophers and all. 
uh, Paul and Luke. Luke was a, what did Luke do for a living? Do you remember? He was a physician. Luke was a physician. Well, those guys were brilliant. Don't rule out the apostle Peter. Oh, man, Peter is amazing. And as we did a moment ago, let's stand up for the reading of God's word. And I'm going to begin at verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read 18 through 21. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21. The Bible says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, may your Holy Spirit powerfully be in this place. Dear Lord, Thy will be done in each and every life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I want to talk about why Jesus came and what you and I might do in this present world uh, that needs the Lord so much. Notice it says this, that we are not redeemed with corruptible things. Now, verse 18 is a lot like 1 John 2.15. The world is passing away and the lust thereof. You know what? It's, it's funny. Uh, my wife and I, we've, uh, my parents died and I had to clean out their house and we took a lot of stuff to Goodwill and the Salvation Army. We took some stuff to the dump and I was out at the, the landfill in our hometown and there was a, a cardboard box and it, it was full of plaques and trophies. I don't know whose they were, but isn't it amazing? all of the accolades of this world. Right now, the most famous person on the planet, probably Taylor Swift. But you know, there was a day when it was the Beatles. I mean, there was a day when it was Michael Jackson. I remember back in the 80s and 90s, Michael Jackson was super famous. And kids today, they don't know who Michael Jackson was. And and all of this world that we get so hung up on, the bling of life, right? And look, God knows We need a roof over our head. We need food on the table. The Lord knows that. But very often, man, we get wrapped up in, uh, do I have the right car? Do I wear the right clothes? Do I hang out with the right people? And all of this stuff. And the Bible says that the things of this world are corruptible. Isn't that something? Um, A few years ago, about 10 years ago, I debated a lot of atheists. Now, atheism is kind of slacking off a little bit, and, and that's a good thing, but they, they need the Lord. Look at this. There was an article that just came out about atheism, and may, maybe you saw a thing about a week ago about how, for the first time in American history, the majority of adults, not only are they not Christian, but they don't believe in God. And there's, there's been articles about what they call the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Like they'll say, you know, what religion are you? And they'll say, well, none, right? So you and I have a job to do. Church in this generation, Calvary, and all of the stand firm attendees, we have a calling to tell this world about the Jesus they have forgotten. Uh, I, I'm just going to say in a group this size, maybe even this morning, 
There might be somebody here and you need to make sure that you've got Jesus Christ in your life. And there was a time and a place, not just that you're a church member, but that you have really given your heart and life to the Lord Jesus. And it, maybe you're in this room right now by God's design to make sure. But as a Christian, let's remember that we live in a corruptible world of fading, dying things. And you and I, who have found Jesus Christ, we are the messengers of life to people. Here's the thing. Uh, it, it started in Texas. Atheists, this is so wild, because atheists, they say, are starting to have church services. Now, the, even the word church, does anybody, here's the extra credit question. What, what does the word church mean? Assembly, that's right. The, the Greek word is ekklesia. Uh, pastor mentioned the word koinonia, fellowship. We have koinonia among the ecclesia, the called out assembly. And yet, see, here's the thing. Satan is a copycat. The devil has never done anything original. God gave this wonderful thing called marriage and intimacy and love. And Satan has surely counterfeited that. We have worship and the beautiful music to praise the true and living God. And Satan has certainly ripped off that. Well, even Sunday morning church. And I've debated and I've interviewed the world's top atheists. And they, oh, we don't need God. There is no God. We evolved. Charles Darwin, right? And yet the human soul still has three basic needs acceptance, significance, security. Acceptance, do I fit in? Significance, does, does my life even matter? And then security, am I safe? And here's what's amazing, as the article says, um, these poor nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that are lost, they're meeting on Sundays to try and encourage each other, they're giving testimonies, but I don't know about what. And the thing is, the, the Bible talks about having a form of godliness, but no power, right? What you and I, our mission, our mission is to tell a lost world about the truth that they're groping for in the dark. If you've ever had to get up in the middle of the night and maybe go to the bathroom or get a glass of water you know, you're in the dark and man, you're looking for that light switch and you go, ow, I put my little toe into the bed post, right? Groping in the dark can be a dangerous thing. But there are people now, there are people within a mile of this place that I, I'm firmly convinced, folks, I am firmly convinced that everybody's thinking about God. I've been on airplanes I've been uh, talking to the mechanic, changing the oil in my truck. People are thinking about God. They really, really are. And so we got to tell them why Jesus came. Here's a book, uh, Mary Eberstadt, and she's a Christian. She's a sociologist. How the West lost God. How the West really lost God. Now, here's the deal. People think, oh, well, we turned liberal. 50 years ago in the schools, they were teaching evolution and we got more and more and more liberal, and you look up one day and suddenly nobody believes in God, right? Well, I mean, that's part of it, I guess. Here's the deal, though. What she documents, and others have documented too, that there's always been atheism, 
There's always been people that kind of rejected the Bible. But what happened 50 years ago in 1970 and 71, California and New York instituted what we call no-fault divorce. You can walk away for any reason. Now, for the first like 30 years, the ones that would walk away were the guys. Men would, you know, run off with the secretary or something like that. Do you know now, and this has been the case for almost 20 years, there is what psychologists called the walk-away wife syndrome. 80, 85% of all divorces now are initiated by the women. Isn't that sad? Now, how we lost Christianity, part of it is that, you know, there, there was a, a movement among church where things are watered down and people weren't really proclaiming the gospel as forcefully as they ought to. But a lot of why we have abandoned God has been the breakdown of the family. Isn't that something? When there is a mother and a father and there is regular involvement in church and the kids see that it's real in the life of mom and dad, the faith gets passed on. That's why I love the passages and the pastor has alluded to them. Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And we will worship him and we'll keep it right before our eyes. We'll put it on the doorpost of our heart. Now listen to this, Exodus 13. This is so touching. It's, this is so beautiful, Exodus 13. It says, when it comes to pass that your son will ask you, why do we do these things? Then you will say, when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, God with a strong arm delivered us. And the implication the implication in Deuteronomy 6 and Exodus 13 is that the time comes when your child asks you, the parent, how do I have what you have? Daddy, I see that you, your, your walk with the Lord is so real. Dad, how can I have that too? And, and the daughter and the, is asking mom and dad, I see that you pray. How do I study my Bible like you do? And what a beautiful thing is, I mentioned it Friday night, we can do this, church, just like the early church turned Rome upside down on the strength of the family. We can do this again. Now, look, I, I write books. I do radio. I work with leaders like Pastor Mark. I, I care. I care about the battle of worldview that we're in, and we're definitely in a battle of spiritual struggle. But here's the deal. Give me strong, godly families, and I am confident of the future of this nation. Show me men that love the Lord Jesus and love their spouse, and they are the priest of the home, and men that would never cheat on their wife. They're true to their wife, and they are leading their family in the ways of God, and they're laying down their life for their bride, like Jesus laid down his life for his bride, and we're going to be fine. Show me women of God that they know who Jesus is and they're like that Proverbs 31 woman and they're women of character and virtue and value and they're Jesus women and the kids are going to be fine. And so as much as I care about the government, and I do, and I care about academics, and I do, listen, the thing I pray for God, and this is where we all can play a role, Lord, restore the family and the future is going to be good. Now, let's talk about Jesus. Why did Jesus come? Because that's what we do. We're trying to show the world Jesus. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the name above all names. We're in just a few weeks. We'll celebrate Palm Sunday. And he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they said, Hosanna. Then they said, crucify him. And think about Easter. You know, they often talk about Passion Week. And Jesus, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, anybody ever been to Israel? Anybody? Yeah, several people. And you go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And think about it, because olive trees grow so slowly. And olive trees live to be 2,500 years old. The olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane, like right now, are the olive trees that our Lord was under when he was praying the night that he was betrayed. It's amazing. It really is. Folks, this is real. By the way, any young people here, I just want to say this. This is reality. We um, have been to 72 of the sites in the Holy Land. And in 2 Peter 1.16, it says, We have not followed cleverly devised fables when we've made known the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know this is real. This is really, really real. A real Jesus walk those dusty streets of Jerusalem. A real Jesus was nailed with real spikes to a cross on a real hill called Golgotha. Jesus, the most significant life in history. Even the magazines, you know, this was in um, National Geographic. The carpenter's son who changed everything. See, I remember when I was in college in the late 80s, and I, and I got saved midway through going to college. And I was going to a state university. And I remember taking some history class. And the professor was like, well, if Jesus existed nowadays, even National Geographic, Time Magazine, you know, U.S. News and World Report, they'll always at Easter, they'll do some article about Jesus. He was real. You can't deny it. There's more historical evidence for Jesus than for Julius Caesar. More historical evidence for the life of Christ than for the life of William Shakespeare. So let's talk about it for a second. I want to tell you why Jesus came, because I think it's a great motivator for all of us. You know, C.S. Lewis, once in our world, a stable had something in it bigger than the whole world. It's just amazing. It's amazing. So... Galatians 4, at the right time. It's been said that the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, when Jesus came, Israel, Israel, the very same Israel that exists today, except it, the world was really under the rule of Rome. The rule of Rome had been going on for several centuries before the birth of Christ. And even though Rome was kind of like a police state, and there was, you know, Roman centurions could boss people around. Still, um, people could travel. There was a time of economic uh, interaction between Greece and Rome and different nations, Spain, uh, Italy, nations like that. And many historians have said when Jesus was born, and of course Jesus rose, Peter preached at Pentecost, the church was born, and you and I are still surfing on the ripple effects of the birth of the church. But many historians have said this is like, that was the, the optimum time in world history to start something 
that would touch the entire planet. So it was just the right time that Jesus was born to redeem those under the law that we might have the adoption of sons. Jesus was born. I'm going to give you seven reasons to fulfill prophecy. God had promised the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, verse 2. He would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. Numbers 24 says there would be a star that would arise, and that would signify one who in his hand would hold a scepter. Now, who holds a scepter? A king. See, Jesus coming together... Uh, Jesus entering the stage of human history, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, Matthew 122, uh, and we just celebrated Christmas two months ago, it says, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet. So Jesus' coming was predicted centuries in advance by God. Hey, by the way, incidentally, I did a master's thesis on world religions. Seriously, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, no other religious system has fulfilled prophecy, only biblical Christianity. Only God, the true and living God, only God writes history in advance. Secondly, Jesus came to show us God. So you would know who the eternal God is. This is amazing to display the person of God. Now, do you remember uh, when Jesus was talking and he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man said, who is he that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking to you. See, you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. In Mark 14, now hang with me here, critics like academics they don't like the Gospel of John. John is so clearly Christocentric. Now, we know it's the Word of God. But I'll tell you, there is, there is one Gospel. If a critic accepts any part of the New Testament as authentic, it's probably going to be the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the shortest Gospel. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is 16 chapters. Now, I quote Mark. Because even critics accept Mark, right? Uh, well, anyway, in Mark 14, 61 through 64, Jesus is being tried. And the Sanhedrin and the high priest, they said, we command you, tell us, are you the son of the blessed one? Now, this is huge, folks. This is amazing. Jesus, in answering in the affirmative, he quotes two Old Testament books, Exodus and Daniel. And religious Jews of that day would have known that these passages were about God and the Messiah. Now, Jesus, they said, we demand, are you the son of the blessed one? Jesus, first of all, quotes Exodus 3.14 and says, I am. Now, pious Jews wouldn't even vocalize those words because God told Moses, I am that I am. Now, now, none of us can say that. By the way, let me chase a philosophical rabbit for a moment. Hang with me. You and I, we were born 
and we are human beings. Uh, the fact that you exist speaks to the fact your parents conceived you, and nine months later, you were born, right? And then you have a body. You're either a male or a female. You, you have your height, your physical attributes. You, you exist, and you have characteristics. Well, this is amazing. I know this is deep. But in Exodus 3.14, when God told Moses, I am that I am, for one thing, that speaks to God's eternality. God could not not exist. It is God's nature to exist. And what Jesus was saying in Mark 14, 61 through 64, when he said, they said, we, we command you, tell us who you are. Are you the son of the blessed one? First of all, Jesus said what none of us could say and what none of them would say. Jesus says, I am. All right. And that's why in John 8 and John 10, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. Was is a past tense verb. Jesus spoke of himself in the eternal, ever-present now. In, in John 18, 35, when the Lord was before Pilate, and Jesus says, my, call, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, this is amazing, John 18, 35. Jesus said something to Pilate none of us could say. Jesus said, for this cause I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. See, how could Jesus plan his entry into the world? Because he was prior to this world. Jesus' resurrection, ascension to heaven, his eventual return, Christ came into time but his origin is from eternity. It's amazing. Jesus came to show us God. Jesus came to pay for sin and rescue humanity. The old songwriter said, he paid a debt he didn't owe because I owed a debt I couldn't pay. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hey, you know, we got this lanyard on, right? I got Hang with me. I got to tell you a story. Growing up, I loved the Beach Boys. And um, I would go, they would come to our, you know, Surfing USA, Fun, 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 Little Deuce Coop, all those songs. That was the music my sister and I, we grew up on that, right? I had a little band. I was in junior high. We were playing Surfing Safari. So they would come to our town, and I would go behind the, the Coliseum, and I would tell a lie to the security guard. And I would say, uh, seriously, I said, uh, they're my cousin, Please, let me in. They're expecting me. And the guy was like, beat it, kid. So one time, about 1984, they were in Charlotte, and I drove down to the football stadium to see them. Well, walking through the crowd was a guy that I had seen on TV, Jeffrey Foskett, and he was carrying several boxes of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I knew he played in their band, because it takes about 11 guys on stage to get their sound. And I stopped him in this crowd. I said, up, 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 up. You're Jeffrey Foskett. You play a 12-string guitar. I know all the songs. I'd love to play in your band. And he looked me up and down. 
He died, by the way, he died December 11th, one of my best friends since 1984. And you know what he did? We walked up to the rope where the security guard had already run me off. And, and Jeffrey looked at me. I had just met him. He said, you want to meet the guys? Brian Wilson, Carl Wilson, Mike Love, Al Jardine, Bruce Johnson. I said, yeah. He took off his badge and he put it around my neck. He said, and by the way, I've got half a dozen of these to this day. It, it, was, it said, Beach Boys, all access. He said, you keep this around your neck. You can go anywhere I go. Seriously, I just met this guy. He said, you want to meet the guys? Follow me. And we went. The security guard was at the rope. He went, and I went. It's a blessing the Lord didn't strike me down. And you know what? I got to know those guys, got to play with them, sing with them many, many times. Um, Jeffrey, about a month after that, and the closest guy friend I've had since 1984. We've done a lot of life together. Uh, parents, my wife and I, I give God the glory, traveled all over the world to see and hang out with them. But um, when I, I said to him, I said, why did you let me come backstage and hang out with you? He said, the Holy Spirit told me to. It's a long story, but here's the thing. Listen very carefully. Get this. When you put your faith in Jesus and you say, Lord, I, I, I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus, I do believe you died on the cross for me. Lord, I accept what you did. You paid my guilt, my sin debt. Lord, I'm not trusting my good works. I'm not believing I earned it. But Lord, I am trusting you. Dear Jesus, please wash my sins away. Save my soul. God, and this is Romans 4, God puts around your neck the all-access badge of heaven. It's not your work, because you and I, we don't have any good works. Uh, it's not how much you deserve it, because it was grace. We really didn't deserve it. But just like the all-access lanyard will get you backstage at the Beach Boys, <laughs> Jesus says... From now on, the Father looks at you the same way he looks at me. In the eyes of Almighty God, you are equal with Jesus. Now, he is still Jesus. I don't want to overstate this, but here's the thing. God has robed you in his righteousness. That's why we don't want to live sinful lives. It's inappropriate. I mean, look, look at this. Imagine you had a valuable work of art in your home. So let's say that you've got, you know, uh, a, a million-dollar painting by a famous artist. And let's say you, you say, listen, I'm going to chop some lettuce for a salad. Uh, do you lay out a million-dollar painting to prepare messy food on top? Of course not. That's something precious and valuable. You care for it. You respect it. And the righteousness of God. Look, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Christ's holiness has been appropriated to you. Uh, the Spirit of God indwells you. I mean, you wouldn't say to Jesus, hey, let's go down to the bar and get ripped up. But look, everywhere you go, Jesus goes with you. Everything you're surfing on the Internet 
Jesus is with you. So Jesus paid for sin, rescued our souls, and we are his from that point forward. Number four, Jesus came to conquer death and defeat the grave. I love it. It says this in 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. Now manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death. Now in the Greek, okay, Jesus abolished death. That's the Greek word for unemployment. Jesus put death out of a job. You're you're no longer needed. Thank you. Because now what has come onto the stage of human history is eternal life. He abolished death by the blood of his cross. He came to defeat Satan. All right. Satan caused our fall into sin. Jesus has made Satan fall, and now he is defeated. The Son of God was manifest to defeat the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. Isn't this amazing? All right, I'm going to wrap up here in a minute, but i got to share this. I was at Liberty University. Liberty University, uh, I graduated from. Do we have any Liberty people here? Yeah, amen. Praise God. Um, There was a man named Dr. Harold Wilmington. Harold Vaughn and I, we were talking yesterday about liberty because he and his wife were at liberty way back in the day. So listen to this. We were in this big Q&A, like 400 college students. And Dr. Harold Wilmington, great scholar, a girl raised her hand and she said, Dr. Wilmington, do you think the devil has read the book of Revelation? And it says, ultimately, at the end, um, the beast, the false prophet, and Satan get thrown into the lake of fire. And Dr. Wilmington said, uh, no doubt, Satan knows the scripture. Uh, The devil has quoted scripture. So, yes, Satan knows that his destination is the lake of fire. He is defeated. He is bound for eternity in the lake of fire. So Dr. Wilmington was about to go to the next question. The girl persisted. She goes, well, then why does he continue doing what he's doing? Satan can't beat God. Satan is defeated. Why do he and all those demons keep on? And there was a pause. And Dr. Wilmington said, well, that's the insanity of sin. To follow and serve Satan is to align yourself with the greatest cosmic loser of all time. I was like, i got to write that down. (laughs) To follow and serve Satan is to align yourself with the greatest cosmic loser of all time. Listen, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to usher along history. See, Jesus' miraculous second coming had to have been preceded by an equally miraculous first coming. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of the ages. Folks, this morning, God wants us all to step out of the temporal and into the eternal. God wants us to let go of that which is worthless and invest ourselves in that which is priceless and timeless. Jesus is the fulfillment of history. And history itself is going to that point where Christ is coming back. So Jesus came to show us God, 
to fulfill prophecy, to pay for sin, to conquer death, to defeat Satan, to usher along history. But the final thing, if you're a born-again believer, Jesus came to be our example. The Bible says he is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. The Bible says when he was reviled, he didn't answer back. The Bible says that he forgave even those that didn't deserve it. Even from Calvary's cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so today, what a joy. Paul says in Romans that that we live for Christ, which is our reasonable service. In other words, it's the least we can do. God has things for you as I close. Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. Maybe you've walked with the Lord for 40 years. Hallelujah. God has more for you. Maybe you feel like your best days are behind you. No, God has more for you. Maybe you have told yourself, I don't know. God, God has big things for this other guy, but I don't know. I'm just going to ride it out. No, God has miracles for you. God has plans for you. God has souls that you are to evangelize. God has intercessions and prayers that you are to pray. God wants to change history through your life. I believe it. God has a big role for you to play within Calvary Tabernacle. Your dear pastor, man, if I live, God knows I'm telling you the truth. If I live here, I would be under this pastor. And so God has things for you. And I know we have folks that have come here from across the country. But God has things for you because, look, the life of Jesus, and he is our example. Jesus, and in fact, Christianity itself, is the story of a mission trip. So are you on board? Are you being all that you could be? I want to tell you one of the great miracle stories of church history in recent times. Uh, about two or three years ago, there was a big story about the Fiji Islands, a very solidly evangelized place as of 200 years ago. But the Fiji Islands, you've heard of Captain Cook and the South Seas. Well, the Fiji Islands were full of cannibals, and no missionary would dare to go there. And there were several, there were actually Methodist missionaries, uh, a guy named John Calvert and, and Getty, and they decided that they had to win these cannibals. And so all of these people, and there was a group of several dozen people, they sold everything and they booked a ship, rented a ship to take them and leave them at the Fiji Islands. And the captain of the ship told Calvert and Getty and all these women and families, says, look, you will die and everyone with you if you go among those savages. Calvert, he said this, we died before we came here. Now, here's the thing. America is dying because we're not dying. Look, I, I'm not, I beg of you, I'm not talking about myself. Um, but my wife and I, we got engaged 35 years ago. 
And she was already a Sunday school teacher, and I felt a call of God on my life. And so we prayed, and we're like, Lord Jesus. And I look back, we didn't know what we were doing. All of us, you know, do you remember when you're just kids in love? And But we said, Lord, we're going to get married and do something with our marriage. Look, I give God the praise. But I figured out that in 35 years, I've been gone a little over seven and a half years. And every now and then people are like, oh my goodness, why did you do that? Well, look, it's worth it. Souls get saved. We encourage each other. We belong to Jesus. Now, we're, we're as tight as the bark on a tree, you know? But here's the deal. It is so liberating. It is so invigorating. It is so empowering when you truly let Jesus have your life. And he will do things that you just can't even dream of. Uh, Jesus will do more with your life than you can imagine. So I want to ask you this. Jesus came with purpose. You were born with purpose and for a purpose. All of life, you're searching for acceptance, significance, security. You're trying to experience fulfillment. Folks, it is as close by as a prayer. And this conference is about standing firm. And my goodness, how our nation needs Christians and churches that would stand firm. Today, I want to ask you three basic questions. Number one, do you have a personal relationship with the Jesus of the Bible? I'm not asking if you're, if you're spiritual, if you try to live up to your values, whatever that means. No, I'm asking the Jesus of the Bible that said in John 6, 40, if you see the Son, S-O-N, and believe in Him, you will have everlasting life and He will raise you up at the last day. Whatever your need is, if you call on Jesus, He has promised to receive you. Three questions. Number one, have you ever trusted Christ? Can you remember a, a, a moment when you consciously, within your heart, said, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Please save me. If you've never done that or you're not for sure, today we want to give you an opportunity to make sure. Secondly, though, as a believer, you're a Christian? Good. Well, do you need to come back to Christ? Do you need a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit? Do you have things in your life that you need to really let Jesus have hold of. Maybe you've got unsaved people that you're praying for. Maybe, though, thirdly, not only recommitment and obedience to a call, the third thing, are you a member of a church? And some of you, maybe this weekend, God is calling you to join and plug in with Calvary. So that's part of being a disciple, is to be a part of a local church. And this is a great one. And in the church, look, the, the atheists are trying to copy it. The church is such a blessing in every way. I want us to bow our heads and pray, if we could, heads bowed and eyes closed.